Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, the, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host. Thanks for joining us on one of the 42 radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, and the show website, seriesshow.com. Well, today we have a great show for you. We're going to talk about health care and health care real estate. Look, healthcare and healthcare real estate—it's been a been a big subject, right? With the age, the aging baby boomers, we have Obamacare, we have uh, office uh, market that's been incredible. So we're going to share some tips today for healthcare providers, and we're going to share some tips for healthcare real estate investors. Please welcome my first guest, Dr. Herbert Jones. He's an ear, nose, and throat specialist who is uh, working in the Atlanta market. Uh, Dr. Jones, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Hey, Michael. How you doing? We appreciate it. You know, one of the things that uh, healthcare practitioners are trying to do today is kind of cut costs, right? You're fighting reimbursements. Uh, you, you have to see more more patients, right? And and you've got to kind of spread the spread your market around and pick up uh, uh, patients from other places. Tell us what you're doing with your uh, timeshare office space uh, to, to help in that regard. Well, you know, you're absolutely correct there. Um, I don't think that it's really a, an issue or problem uh, unique to medical practices. Everybody is, uh, you know, kind of caught in the squeeze. Everybody is trying to save money and everybody is trying to run more efficiently. And so that's what we're doing in our practice. Now, um, I'm in a practice, uh, the Jones Otolaryngology Group. Uh, here in Atlanta, that's uh, been there for uh, really since 1969, and my dad was the one who started the practice, and he basically worked out of one office for many, many years, probably about 20 years, and then I joined the practice, my sister joined the practice, and so we had this uh, uh, wealth of physicians now operating out of one office, and so we needed to expand, and we actually did expand to a second office, a second full-time office. Um, After that, my father retired, and uh, so there were just two of us, and we uh, made a decision about 10 years ago or so that we wanted to try to have a satellite type of an office. And the way that has worked out for us has been a subleasing kind of an arrangement, and it has worked out quite well um, on uh, from many aspects. Uh, and so we're very happy with the way it's gone, and um, you know we can get into a little more of the specifics yeah. of that. Well, let's talk about it. So you're not subleasing uh, for the entire time frame, right? So you've kind of got a timeshare aspect right. of this. Yeah, and, it, and it's not in Florida. It's not in Boca. Right. It's our timeshare here in Atlanta. But... Um, the way it basically works is uh, at the satellite office or the timeshare office, we have uh, we are taking up two slots, two slots out of ten. So for every um, every one week, actually, there are ten slots: uh, morning slot and evening slot, and each slot is four hours. And so basically, we have decided which days, or we decided which days we wanted to take, and we took two four-hour slots, Mondays and Thursday afternoons, and that's basically it. So we're only in the office, the satellite office, on those two particular days at those particular times. And of course, financially, it's much, much, uh, uh, a much better situation for us because obviously you're not paying for time that you're not using. Um, and so we've been very happy with it. All right, that's interesting. So you're leasing that timeshare, those two mornings a week, and you get the entire space, right? The entire space. Now, it is it is an office, and here's an interesting thing. The office, actually, we're not leasing every room in the office. The office probably has, one, two, three, four, five patient examination rooms. We only lease 
uh, three of those. So while we're in the timeshare, we're actually not leasing the entire timeshare. We're really just leasing those rooms that we need. You're really getting just what I you I mean, need. it is the absolute efficiency. You can't beat it, you know, in terms of that. Now, I don't know if every arrangement is that way, but that's the way it kind of works for us. Right. So how long is your uh, lease? Is it as long as a typical lease of maybe five, seven, ten years? We have gotten, uh, we're into our second two-year lease. So, okay. you know, usually, and even in our main office, our leases uh, have been about 36 months usually. So okay. that might not be typical. I don't know. But um, the timeshare lease is a little little uh, shorter. Yeah, I see. And so you bring your entire staff for those mornings, right? So your support folks are there. That's right. We have a relatively small office. So we yeah. have uh, two physicians and three support staff working. And two of the three will come with us. Now, we still have an office manager who does the central billing and um, things like that, scheduling, et cetera, et cetera. She stays at the main office because of the main office, it is a normal lease and we're, we're going to be uh, in that space anyway at that time. So she stays there while the physician goes with the two other people and we, we bring, we import, you know, our help and we uh, basically have our own um, materials. The only thing that we really need is an internet connection. Um, in this day and age of ele- electronic health records, uh, you really don't have to have a lot of physical space. Right. We used to have large rooms that would hold all these records from years gone by, and um, now we don't. Now it's on an off-site server, and all of our patient information is there. So you really don't have to have lots and lots of rooms, so it works out perfectly. Well, that's interesting, uh, the timeshare concept, because if you're a landlord, maybe you get to, to bring in some tenants that uh, in some space that you don't have leased, and maybe they become bigger tenants, right? Maybe they're, they do well there, and you you become you want the suite full-time well, right? it, it, it's kind of a win-win when we first started about 10 years ago at Atlanta Medical Center I believe we were the one of the first groups to actually do this and uh, at, back at that time there seemed to be a glut of real estate at least office mm-hmm. medical office type real estate on the market and so they had a lot of different units that were just sitting unused and so we actually got to uh, pick the one that we wanted and have it renovated really at no cost to us, um, which is a great deal because now you're moving into kind of a new, newly renovated office that looks great and uh, you're going to have the efficiency of only being there a certain amount of time. So um, no, the, the whole scenario seems to have worked out very well and now we're 10 years into it. Wow. That's fantastic. And, and there's multiple benefits for you, right? So like as you just mentioned, you have three physician offices now. So if you want two more, they're there. You can rent them. Yeah, if you can find the time, you know, yeah. because from a financial standpoint, it really doesn't yeah. impact you. It's fractions on the uh, the dollar in terms of what you pay for normal office space. Now, one thing I will say, you know, I am not... Uh, I can't really say that you could do this as your primary location, say you have two or three primary satellite offices. We still need to have one office because there are procedures that need to be done. Uh, There is equipment that needs to be housed. So for us, we still need to have one office, but certainly having one or two satellite offices offices, I think, would work for a lot of practices. Yeah. And probably already does. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great idea. So in this satellite office, you have a, a bit of storage, right, for some equipment. Yeah. They will give you uh, not a lot. They give you, uh, our. I think our deal has uh, two or three uh, large cabinets. Um, and so we use those. And, uh, you know, being an ear, nose, and throat office, we do have some equipment that has to be stored. Um, so we have to have some instruments for hearing uh, assessment and um, for middle ear assessment, that sort of thing. So we, we do need some space. We have suction equipment and, uh, you know, uh, something that helps us to clean out earwax and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So, you know, we but we've compartmentalized it. We've kind of compacted things down. And so it basically works. If you were to walk into that office, besides the sign on 
on the front which says, you know, Dr. Jones O'Laryngology Group, certain days a week. If you walked into that office, we were there, you would not know that that was an ear, nose, and throat office. There may be an occasional poster or something, but you really wouldn't know that we were there. Right. Because some other people are leasing it for other practices, Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a, a, but a podiatrist but is in there, and I think there was a... Uh, at one point in time, um, an internal medicine person that was in there as well. And your name's on the directory downstairs? Yeah, the, on the directory, and that stays all the time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it's pretty good. Now, it's also important, uh, as you've learned as a practitioner, uh, to understand the details of your lease, right? Uh, because there may be clauses in there. You, you may be a smaller tenant. They may want to make right. a move. Well, Michael, we're learning all the time. <laughs> you know, I think by the end of all this, when it's time to retire, I'll have everything down. You know, it's interesting. Ten years ago, we kind of looked at this like a regular lease, you know, without knowing any other particulars about the differences and whatnot, or even if we should. And we did have an experience uh, where we were um, de facto moved out to another sublease. But I think... Uh, in that particular circumstance, um, we were fairly protected, and they basically made us an offer to go to a bigger spot, maybe even a nicer spot for the same amount and give us more time uh, And as a concession because they now found someone who wanted to lease this space full-time. So all the sublease people or the timeshare people had to kind of be moved on. That might be one of the disadvantages of doing this sort of thing. So it is important to look over the contract and just make sure, or even if um, there was that request, because it's a timeshare, it's not as big of a deal. If I'm in the same building, my patients will still probably find me. Whereas in my main office, you know, I've been there. My dad was there for 40 years. So, you know, if we move from there, we're probably going to lose a lot of people. But in a timeshare, there's a transient na- uh, nature to the whole idea of, of timeshare in, in any event. And so, you know, for us, it wasn't a big deal. Um, we moved upstairs from downstairs and, um, you know, we continued on as we were. But you do have to watch out for that because you are kind of the little guy and uh, you could maybe get pushed around a little bit. So, but it, it was not a problem for us. Yeah. And one of the things that made you close your, your second office and do the time sharing was uh, escalating rents, right? You had escalating rents at 4%. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, we, we, the, the, uh, the entity or location shall remain nameless, <laughs> but there was a uh, standard. I don't know if this is standard for medical office space or office space in general, but we had a 4% increase per year. Yeah. You know, and that uh, after about 10, 15 years, yeah. that really becomes very steep. Yeah. And the... Um, the leasee was not willing to negotiate on that. That's yeah. how they made a lot of money. Yeah. And so we had to decide you know, what we're going to do from here. Interestingly enough, on our sublease, our timeshare, there has not been a year-to-year increase. That's great. Well, uh, Dr. Jones, thanks for joining us today. We Very appreciate good. you being with us. All right. Thanks, Michael. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on healthcare and healthcare real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and you're listening to The Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about healthcare and healthcare real estate. Please welcome my next guest, Ernie Anaya. He is VP with Healthcare Real Estate Services at Bull Realty. Ernie, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Thank you for having me, Michael. We appreciate it. Ernie, you've got a big background of helping uh, healthcare providers with their business and with their consulting and with their real estate. My first question for you, uh, how, what are some of the top considerations a healthcare provider should consider when they're picking the right location for the practice? Well, Michael, the first consideration is really 
figuring out what is your healthcare real estate strategy because that drives everything. What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to capture uh, groups outside uh, in the retail areas and getting closer to the population or would you want to be close to a campus type environment? Once you make those decisions and we can help you with that, then you would have a demographic uh, report done where you can actually look at the age groups, the education levels. You also want to be in an affluent area so that your practice is going to thrive. You're also going to have to look at what is the best uh, accessibility and is it visible from the road? Almost and sounds like retail. <laughs> exactly. So the retail industry have made this a sign of picking, doing site analysis or mm. site uh, uh, picking a site. Mm. So this is kind of like the same thing now for healthcare. Healthcare has now called it retailization, coming from retail, meaning that they're trying to create a hope and spoke. Mm -hmm. So if your hospital is, is centered in an urban area that is not giving you the growth, they're trying to put out uh, physician offices and clinics out into the periphery to feed the hospital back. Okay, and what if I have a specific specialty? How can I figure out if that specialty is gonna work well in a certain location? Uh, a, f a few things that you have to, to do uh, is, is really look at the demographics. Uh, we can do demographic studies where we have to uh, ring one, uh, five, uh, uh, one, three, and five mile radius and looking at the age of the population uh, and the demographics. But for instance, let's say that you're trying to create an endoscopy lab. Uh, you don't want to target a population that is very young with a lot of children. You want to target a population 50 plus. In addition to that, you want to look at competition, uh, and our demographics analysis could show you that. Uh, for instance, you want to target uh, 5,000 population ratio to physician uh, on that specialty because that will guarantee you better income. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. And one thing I think that's on, a, on the mind of a lot of healthcare providers today is is uh, cost, right? And Correct. kind of keep costs down and reimbursements up. So related to their office space, whether well, consider some considerations there of how they might save cost uh, when they're picking the right office location. Uh, you had uh, one of the previous guests was mm -hmm. talking about the modular mm -hmm. uh, medical office, mm -hmm. uh, and that could be very cost effective, especially mm -hmm. uh, if you were looking at uh, the ratio or your time to cash mm -hmm. uh, because the uh, construction could be done so fast and your return on investment could be so much faster. But mm -hmm. the things that you have to look at is, is really a holistic approach about what you're trying to do with your strategy. Mm -hmm. And you have to really look at is it better to buy or is it better to lease? And do a uh, buy versus lease analysis and we have models that will show you that we can put in the lease rates and everything uh, as well as the purchase uh, information and then it'll determine what is the best return on investment for you not everything is going to be the you know everybody is not better suited buy. to lease or, or to buy right. it's based on your strategy and your return on investment requirements and let's, let's talk about that because i think healthcare providers uh, do uh, get in locations stay there for a long time so yes. and they don't change their size of their space that much so you think it would lend itself very well to purchase uh, versely so what are some of the benefits uh, on the purchase side of the of the table there there's there's a significant amount of uh, advantages there mm -hmm. uh, right now if you look at uh, the cost of class A buildings mm -hmm. uh, you're upwards of $28 per square foot mm -hmm. uh, you're paying 70 or $7 to $10 for common area maintenance $70 per square foot just for tenant improvements that could go up to $300 so and then in addition to that 
you're looking at a triple net, which is a standard. Mm-hmm. That means that you have to pay property taxes, maintenance, mm-hmm. utilities, and, and all that. Even as a tenant. Yeah. Even as a tenant. So it might make sense to take an, a look at an analysis done by a professional mm-hmm. that shows which is the better way for you. Right. And I think one of the things that's uh, beneficial at the moment as we speak is how low interest rates are, right? Correct. Uh, so, you know, you, I think if you haven't looked at a lease first purchase when you did a lease 10 years ago because interest rates were so much higher, you may want to look at that today, right? Especially and, before the interest rates go back up right. because. Uh, the Fed is obviously talking about that right now. Right. And then also the uh, lenders love uh, health care practices, right? So if you're looking at lease first purchase, you know, one of the things that I think most people would think about is, well, you've got that out-of-pocket uh, down payment with a purchase that you might not have uh, with a lease. But some lenders will do 100% financing, right? That's correct. One, one of the biggest impediments for a physician owning mm-hmm. uh, the practice is, is knowing the process mm-hmm. of how to buy it and be cost effective. Because mm-hmm. most physicians are capital poor but cash flow rich mm-hmm. uh, because they, they can make monthly payments, but because they're making such uh, sizable investments into equipment and things like that, they're capital poor. Mm-hmm. So some uh, of the uh, financing available right now, for instance, an SBA loan can give you upwards to 95% leverage. But let's say that you only can get 70% uh, loan. Uh, there's companies out there that would actually uh, use your stocks and let you borrow against it with a minimum 3% and no closing costs. That means that now you can have the ability to have 100% leverage and you're becoming your own bank. But the big advantage to that is the fact that this is about a return on investment, which is better than stocks uh, and from a return perspective as well. What if you're trying to create value in your practice to, to maybe sell one day? How should your office location be considered in, in that mission? The trend right now in, in healthcare is for hospital or integrated health systems to go after very profitable group practices. So if you want top dollar in your group practice, not only do you want to have a solid practice with patients and things like that, if you own your building as well, the valuation of your practice is going to be greatly increased. But not only that, that could also contribute to your retirement fund. Right. And I've seen some folks that sell their practice or their business, and um, they'll separate the uh, real estate, sell that to a single-tenant net lease investor, do a long-term lease, so they get more for the, for the practice because they sell the practice to who can pay the most for the practice or the business, and then who will pay the most for the real estate separately. So they're kind of independent because you're also getting the benefits to on the lease as a tenant. You're writing off the entire lease, right? That's, that's correct. Yeah. And also, you can also hold a note. You can mm-hmm. continue. You can sell the practice but become the landlord right. uh, as well. All right. So if I need a new location, I'm a health care provider. Give me a few quick tips uh, how to start that process and, and maybe mistakes to avoid. The, the thing that you want to, to accomplish is figure out where you want to go from a strategic perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are expanding, you need to look at what segments of the, or what geographies are really where you want to be mm-hmm. that will uh, allow you to grow and be profitable. So demographics becomes paramount in making those type of decisions. How about decisions. timing? <laughs> timing, you know, this is a funny question, but Get believe, it or early, not, right? believe it or not, uh, a few months ago, uh, Somebody called me and they wanted to move in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that doesn't work out. And you had a guest earlier <laughs> talking about uh, yeah. build-outs and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. So it takes, in reality, when you're looking at expanding 
or moving, you should start looking two years out right. at a minimum. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good tip. Well, Ernie, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being here. Well, thank you for having me on the show, Michael. Well, stay tuned. We're going to talk about construction and build at cost and give you some tips there. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit Realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about healthcare and healthcare real estate. Please welcome my next guest. It's Dan Biber. Dan is Development and Project Management Services Division. He leads that division, uh, and he's with Pope and Land Enterprises, the largest developer and uh, owner of office buildings. Uh, but Dan's group provides third-party design and construction services, and they have a special focus on interior build-out of medical office space. Dan, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Thank you very much, Michael. Let's talk about some of the, maybe the surprises that uh, a medical office uh, user, someone who has a practice, what might surprise them in the interior construction process? What is the biggest thing that kind of jumps out at them when they're like, whoa, wait a minute? Well, one of the biggest um, surprises is the timing of the interior construction process for medical spaces. Um, On a typical medical space, construction could last as long as as three to four or even five months duration, not even considering the the process for design and lease negotiations. So a lot of a lot of medical practice groups have eight or nine month total duration process uh, for their uh, medical build outs. So that's a big surprise that they do not take into consideration early on. Uh, we will always always guide them and always suggest that they start planning early early on. Yeah, that's a very good tip uh, because they may think, oh, you could build out that interior in 60 days, right? <laughs> but the but the planning and permitting may take 60 days. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's talk about construction cost. Where are we now in construction costs? Is that another area um, that a uh, medical tenant should be aware of? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Construction costs are nationally going um being increased over the over the next months. Now, more specifically in the medical field, since it is more complex and more specialized, construction are, it was being ranged from 70 to $80 a square foot, and it's steadily increasing above that. The more specialized the medical practices, the higher those costs are. Wow. Yeah, I think, uh, and then you've seen some that are a lot more expensive than that than on these interior build-outs, right, depending on what they need. Absolutely. We've seen construction costs as high as 250 to $300 a square foot, and this is just for the interior medical build-out. And how is that trending? Is that, uh, how much more expensive is that than maybe two or three years ago? Uh, we're seeing a trend of 15 to 25% cost increase just from a construction standpoint alone. Uh, most of that is the, the labor market. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a shortage of labor na- nationwide, and that's, um, that's causing the increase of this overall construction costs. Mm-hmm. What else would you tell a medical office user about a team? So if they're going to have a relocation or, or a new office, what kind of team should they put together? Well, the first thing that we suggest clients to do is to engage a qualified 
third-party project manager, somebody who can guide them and lead them in the entire process, who can help them um, hire and select the appropriate design firm and the correct general contractor that fully understands what medical construction is all about and how to construct such a specialized project. Right. And I would add to that a medical office tenant rep, right? <laughs> so maybe that's a little self-serving. That's what we do. But that's uh, uh, one of the things that we see that smart companies, uh, you know, have tenant reps that help them, even law firms that have big real estate departments. But we do see some medical office tenants that uh, get into some deals that maybe uh, uh, they shouldn't have because they weren't guided by a, an office tenant rep. So I'd add that and make sure that office tenant rep uh, has a medical background and understands the uh, the healthcare industry, right? What would you tell a tenant who is in medical and they're considering going into retail space? You know, there's a lot of medical tenants now they are going into to shopping centers and retail space, uh, or maybe they're going into a building that uh, wasn't originally built for medical offices, general office building. What tips would you have for them? Well, the current trend in the in the healthcare mm-hmm. industry is to go uh, into a decentralized locations. Mm-hmm. That's more patient communities oriented, just like you mentioned, into the retail centers, mm-hmm. strategically positioned retail centers. Now, what many medical practice groups do not realize is those retail centers are traditionally set up for a retail shopping establishment meaning many of the physical components of that building are not set up for a medical facility. More specifically, the structural elements, mechanical components, electrical and plumbing systems are not geared for a medical practice groups, which will obviously increase the cost of the retail construction for medical space. So that's very, very important for the medical group to consider what those costs are and what additional requirements they may need to do to that retail establishment. Right, because you might need backup power, right? You might need more HVAC. You're definitely going to need more plumbing. Uh, you may need more electrical. So uh, you might need a lot more build-out than you're thinking because it wasn't built for medical in the beginning. Uh, well, that's that's good information. Well, Dan, well, thanks for joining us here. Thank you very much, Michael. Well, Thank you for having you on your show. Well, we appreciate it. And well, stay tuned. We're going to talk about modular construction being used for office space and specifically for medical office space. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about healthcare and healthcare real estate. Please welcome Karen Jones to the show. She's with um, MedBuild, which is a division of ModSpace, and we're going to talk about modular construction uh, and some of the benefits there. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting us. And talk to us about modular construction and, and some of the benefits over you know, typical stick construction. Probably the number one benefit of modular construction is the time savings. A modular building can be built in 40 to 50 percent less time than a conventional construction building um, can be constructed, which means the return on investment comes back a whole lot faster to the end user. 
Right, and that's real important for uh, medical uh, users, right? Because time is money. And so tell us where that, that time is saved. So well, maybe while you're doing the site work, uh, you're, you're building uh, the modular construction in a controlled environment. In stick construction, uh, you have the design phase, the concept phase, then you have the design phase, then you go into the site construction, and it, the same same process takes place in modular construction as far as that that um, that pace is. Then all of a sudden, when they're when in modular construction, when the site is being developed, we're going ahead and we're building the building in a controlled environment. So the savings comes in. When the site work is done, the building is is delivered to the site, and then the building is installed. That's where we save the time. All of the components that can be attached in the building, all your mechanical systems are already in the building when the building arrives. So you could build a physician's office, put it all together, open the door, and you've got an exam room ready to go. Put a table in there, you're ready to go. Okay, so you're bringing these to the site and then putting them together like Legos, right? It, it pretty much, it's just, <laughs> a, yeah, pretty much like Legos. Okay, and you also work with some of the vendors for some of the medical equipment and, and put that in uh, in a controlled environment as well? Yes, yes, so we work with, uh, for instance, um, you know, General Electric, Siemens, Hitachi, Philips, um, Toshiba, and we also work with Henry Schein, which is a distributor of medical equipment and supplies. They can, all of their cabinets, all of the equipment can be installed in the plant. All your mechanical systems are developed in the plant according to the type of end use that's going to be needed. Uh, so all of that arrives on site. We usually take the utilities to five feet and then the general contractor can take over from that point in time. Okay, and what types of buildings are you seeing being built with modular construction in the medical world today? We, right now we're seeing a real increase in urgent care uh, clinics, freestanding emergency departments as the physicians groups are going out to the population mm -hmm. and they're getting closer to the population. We also do MR, MR suites. We can do permanent buildings. We can do temporary buildings. They can be a standalone or they can be in addition to an existing building. Uh, about the only thing we can't do is the renovations or the build-outs due to the nature of, of the modular construction itself. Okay, and some of these buildings are as large as big hospitals, right? Yes, yes. And, uh, Joplin was a, a perfect example of mm -hmm. a disaster that took place and a whole hospital was built. And what about cost uh, for modular versus stick construction? In the high-end buildings, you usually find that modular construction can be the same cost as stick construction. We use the same materials, and even though an economy of scale can be brought about in the factory, sometimes transportation takes that away because we do have to transport the modules to the site. But when you're getting into the building and occupying it 50% faster, your return on investment comes in because you're seeing patients and you're developing that patient base much quicker. Okay, well that makes sense. That's where your big savings well, is located. What about the quality of the end product? I think some people may think modular. Are we talking about mobile homes here? Yeah, what about the end quality? The end quality is is just as good, if not better, than um, stick construction. It's built in a controlled environment. There's your um, materials are not exposed to the weather. You have um, tradesmen that do the same work every single day when they're working on these buildings. And these buildings, each module has to stand on its own. 
So each module has the strength of the whole entire building. So some, your quality can be a whole lot better. And no, it doesn't look like a trailer when it's done. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're watching some video, you're, you're seeing some of these buildings. If you're, if you're listening on the radio or, or, or other ways, uh, just the audio, we'll have some of these links on the show webpage. So check it out. What about the trends for the volume of modular construction in medical space? Uh, McGraw-Hill, which is now called, called Dodge Data and Analysis, um, has estimated 49% of the new construction is modular. That can be a total building or it can be the pods. Oftentimes you find in a hospital type situation, a general contractor will go in and build like hospital room pods with the head walls in them. So they build a shell and then they just add the pods into there. So that accounts for part of that 49%. Okay. So they work. this works for just total new construction or to add on to an existing building? Yes. Yes, and it can we it can be temporary. Also, um, one of your previous um, speakers was talking about uh, buildouts, and a lot of times when a hospital is doing a renovation, they have to move a department so we can ha- take and put them in a modular building while they're doing that renovation. So it can be for temporary space also. Okay, and great. And you guys have um, a website that explains and kind of shows people uh, what this is like, right? So they can get more information about it. We, yeah. do, we do. And it's www.medbuild.com and then slash construction and then slash healthcare. So I urge you to go there and check this out because if you could save 50% of the construction time, you're saving a lot of money. And these buildings look just like a stick bit building when they're finished, right? They look just the same? Yes, they have a 40-year lifespan. They look is they look just like a regular building, and, yes. And lenders like them? Uh, Len- like lenders them. like them too. All right, well, stay tuned. We'll have more on healthcare and healthcare real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back, and we're going to talk about investment property sales. Would you like to shake hands with decision makers in your favorite commercial real estate sector? Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com for multifamily student and senior housing to net lease and healthcare conferences all over the country. Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and you're listening to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about healthcare and healthcare real estate. Please welcome my next guest. It's Paul Zeman. Paul is president of Healthcare Real Estate Services with Bull Realty, and he focuses on selling medical office buildings around the U.S. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Hey, always glad to be here. Well, we appreciate it, Paul. And uh, first of all, how are medical office buildings overall around the U.S. Uh, performing vacancy-wise and uh, rates? You know, Michael, in terms of vacancy and, and rental rates, uh, two of the, the attributing factors to performance, vacancy is up a little bit, uh, almost 12 percent, 11.9, and I attribute a slight uptick from what we saw maybe earlier this year to just some some new MOB product being delivered to the market. Uh, the, the tenants aren't uh, shutting their businesses going anywhere. We're just seeing more product. Uh, in terms of average rental rates from Class A properties all the way to C uh, across the nation, uh, 22.50 per square foot. Average. Average, yeah. But tell us about some sample rates, though, in some buildings that you're selling. You know, it's interesting. I'm working on a a project in a very affluent suburb on the north side of Chicago right now that uh, $30 rates are not at all out of 
the question and because it is a, a CBD the taxes are relatively high so as much as 15 and 16 dollars in cam so uh, at the end of the day to a tenant uh, $45 is not out of the question. And they're glad to be there, right? They love being there. There's a reason they, <laughs> that they want to be there. It's a right. supply and demand thing. Yeah, it works for them. So. And let's talk about the investment market. It's, uh, it's really been hot in the medical office building world, hasn't it? It, it sure has. You know, the, the two big attributing factors there, obviously, that we look at are dollar volume and cap rates. So let's talk about dollar volume first. Uh, last year at this time, and I'll mention last year was a record year in MOB investment sales. We were just a little over $5 billion. And uh, as of today, we're a little over $7 billion. So we're tracking $2 billion ahead of where we were last year at this time. Okay. Uh, in terms of uh, cap rates, um, the second quarter finished right at 7%. We typically see some resistance there in the, in the low sevens. Um, the trailing 12 months, also exactly 7%. Uh, but the third quarter has heated up. Uh, so far in the third quarter, we've seen 57 transactions over $5 million. And uh, the average of those 57 transactions, 6.50, six and a half cap, okay. uh, which is, uh, we're almost certainly going to see some of this cap rate compression uh, through the through the end of the third quarter. Right. And we always like to remind our listeners, uh, most of our listeners are very aware of this, but uh, in case you drive around in your car, you know, that's an average cap rate, right? So give us a sample of what you might see, say, on an on-campus hospital-sponsored type of uh, property. Yeah, well, an on-campus hospital-sponsored asset that's uh, maybe even attached to the hospital, um, seeing something in the low sixes is not at all out of the question. Uh, then you get out into the into the suburbs and maybe have a, a little bit less hospital sponsorship and definitely off campus and and it's not uncommon to see something uh, seven north of seven. Okay, and so what do you expect through the rest of the year as far as volume and cap rates? You think uh, cap rates remain stable? Maybe more compression? I think we'll just see a little bit more compression. I think the million dollar question is that what's going to happen with interest rates and uh, I think eventually that when we do get into an interest rate rising environment, uh, it's it's going to have to bump the cap rates up. So I think that uh, uh, sellers are definitely making hay while the sun is shining right now. Yeah, I can see a lot of activity between now and the end of the year. Well, Paul, thanks for joining us today. Enjoyed being here. And thanks for joining us on one of the 42 stations on iTunes or on YouTube. We appreciate you being with us. And be sure and join us next week. We're going to talk about commercial real estate technology. We're going to have a guest that's been very instrumental in bringing some great commercial real estate technology to the market. And they've also bundled it. So you can get some amazing products at a pretty low price. We'll see what's going on in the commercial real estate technology market. So thanks for joining us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit excelligent.com. That's X C E L I G E N T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit commercialsearch.com. 
For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.